and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. My regular co-host, Dr. Matthew Peter, is still on leave, a well-deserved break, I must say, but I'm very fortunate today to be joined by Rune Jepson. Rune is a partner in our QIC private equity team and is responsible for the development of QIC's European portfolio. And hello to you, Rune. Hi, Alison. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining me. Rune, you're based out of Copenhagen, and I think that really will give you a front row seat to what's happening in European markets. Really be interested if we could uh, start the discussion by just a, a comment on how you're thinking European institutional investors are feeling in your part of the world. Absolutely, Alison. So I'd be happy to give a bit of a snapshot of where we are here. I think uh, as we're in coming into 2023 and, you know, we're, we're a good way into it already, it's worth having a look at 2022, which was really a tale of two halves. First half of 2022 saw a continuation of a, of a really frothy deal environment, both in, in venture capital and buyouts. And, you know, we continued to see deals getting done at a, at a very rapid pace, at high valuations and with very accommodative uh, financing from, from banks and other participants in the market. That saw a pretty material reversal in the second half of 2022. And it really came from a number of different fronts. I think on, on the one hand, institutional investors had a, an element of indigestion, having you know, committed capital to both buyouts and venture capital at a, at a really an unprecedented pace over the course of you know, the latter half of 2020 and 2021. So there was really a, a, the need to hit a pause button and, and to reassess you know, what capital was available and where was that going to be allocated. I think that spilled over into the private equity manager community. So funds all of a sudden started to be raised at a much slower pace than they had been uh, prior to that. And I think that ended up giving sort of a fear of capital availability being there long term, spilling over into a slowdown in, in deal activity. So that's that's kind of one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is obviously that we've had enormous geopolitical uncertainty uh, in, in the second half of 2022 as well, and really in Europe going back to the to the first half as well. So we've had, you know, the, the conflicts that we've seen in, in Ukraine, we've had the spillover effects into into energy and, and, and uh, specifically gas prices. And we've also had to deal with broader and, and more global effects of, of inflation, which have been felt everywhere. And so all of those things together have really seen the second half of, of 2022, now spilling over into 2023, be uh, a, a period with much more subdued activity. Thanks, Ryan. Look, I think it's been a it's a fascinating year. There's been so many different dynamics, you know, as you as you outline the geopolitics, the uh, macroeconomic, and and just the specific environments pertaining to private equity makes it really quite an interesting, I imagine, quite a challenging environment. And and with that, I'd be really keen to understand what do you think the private equity landscape is like now, and and what are the opportunities looking forward? I guess I'm always a bit hesitant to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> but I think, you know, where, where, where we stand today probably is, is, is not a bad point of guidance. So we haven't seen a material re-rating of risk yet. I think what we've just seen is a slowdown in activity. And with that slowdown in activity, there's, there's, there's been a flight to quality. And so deals are getting done, but only in the very best companies. Funds are getting raised, but only by the very best sponsors. And, you know, at the same time, the, the market as a whole seems to be sort of taking a wait and see approach to see well, what, what is actually going to happen in the future. I'm not sure what, what's out there, but what I do know is that this, this looks and feels like periods we've been in before. And typically where you have these periods of sort of major pullback and a slowdown in activity, it can be a really interesting environment to invest in. 
you know, the world's always a risky place. It just seems that sometimes we collectively have a, a view that, that it's particularly risky. And maybe in those environments, there are good deals to be done. In, in other environments, you know, it seems like there's no risk. And, you know, my experience is that tends to be when we do the worst deals. So so in, in a weird kind of way, I'm actually heartened by the situation that we're in at the moment and sort of the collective view of, of risk, which certainly seems to have swung the other way from the first half of 2022. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and a particularly private equity markets with QIC's private equity partner, Rune Jepson. Can you tell us a little bit more about QIC's private equity strategy and what sort of investments you're looking at, particularly uh, in light of the, the environment as you've outlined it? Because as you say, it might be an interesting environment. So just be curious where you're nuancing your strategy. I, I think that there's a couple of different layers to that, Alison. One is our approach at, at QIC, all the way since we started in, in 2006 with, with private equity, has been to predominantly look at smaller companies. And, and we've really doubled down on that in over the last decade. So our, our preference is to look at smaller companies where you know the risks we're taking are more around execution that's specific to that company rather than necessarily taking a view on, on potential macro conditions that we may or may not get right in the long term. So I think for us, it's, it's as much about sort of figuring out what is an array of potential environments that might befall us in the future. And as we invest to make sure that that you know the, the opportunities we're investing in are positioned to navigate all of those environments. And I think with the focus on smaller companies, we tend to be less dependent on financing markets being at their absolute peak. We tend to be in situations that you know are less priced to perfection and are more priced around sort of specific company level risk that we're taking. And we're comfortable taking that because experience has told us that when you're investing behind long-term and durable trends with good management, you can pretty much navigate your way across most environments. So with that in mind, Alison, I'd be interested in your perspective on the evolving role of alternatives and broader portfolio construction. And particularly, you know, what's the long-term role that you see for private equity as compared to other alternative asset classes in a portfolio mix? Yeah, thanks, Rune. I think from a very literal perspective, the term alternative is, is somewhat of a misnomer uh, in the sense that, you know, it's really very common now to hold what we call alternative assets, which depending on your jurisdiction, includes um, unlisted property, unlisted infrastructure, uh, private equity, your area of expertise room, uh, private debt and hedge funds among the main constituents. Alternatives for our portfolio are very key. They really are an important source of diversification away from those traditional equity and bond markets. And we're really trying to extract both differential types of return as well as alpha from those portfolios. So in particular, I think in the current environment, they're going to have a great role. Um, and I think that's for ourselves and also from speaking to, to peer CIOs, um, both in Australia and globally. You know, from my perspective, we are going to see a bit of heightened inflation looking forward. And with heightened inflation, it's really important to have a suite of assets that have inflationary protection characteristics as far as you can achieve it. And I think private equity certainly offers assets that have that type of return stream. And and indeed, even if not necessarily pure inflation hedging characteristics, they have strong expected growth rates. And so you can still expect a real positive rate of return after allowing for inflation, um, you know, with good selection in the type of companies you've been talking about. So from our perspective, that's been a really key part of our alpha engine in our portfolios. And we're certainly looking to lean into that looking forward as we see an environment which has, you know, mixed economic outlooks, it has a mixed inflationary outlook. And so if we can have robust growth, which is perhaps a little bit less dependent on those types of variables, as you outlined as well, Rude, I think that's going to be critical for us. So certainly a, a key part of our portfolio strategy and one that we're, we're certainly leaning into in the forthcoming environment. 
Brune, just touching on inflation in particular, you know, it's been really heightened in, in most jurisdictions, but particularly in Europe as well. Can you comment on how earnings are holding up and as well as margins at the companies you're looking at? Sure. I think it's uh, there's, there's probably a, a short, medium and long term answer to that question. I think, you know, in the, in the short term, clearly there has been an impact on most companies, especially companies that have a, a significant physical supply chain. You know, here in Europe specifically, we had a big scare around energy prices towards the tail end of last year. I think, you know, we, we did see some of that spill into the profitability of, of the companies that, that we own. But I, I would actually say to a lesser extent than, than maybe we initially feared. But for sure, there has been an impact on on margins across the board of, of, of the companies that we own. And as I say, specifically in companies that are exposed to physical supply chains. I think the, the longer term answer to that and, and you know, my, my expectation of, of where this likely plays out and, and we're seeing some evidence of this is that you know, the, the companies that we invest in, given the strategies that we have, typically always have a very strong competitive moat around them. And that competitive moat typically translates into some degree of pricing power. We've seen a lot of companies already be able to pass through the impacts of inflation to end customers, given the competitive positions that they have. I expect that we'll continue to see that. And, you know, the, the story is really one that if you can remain solvent for long enough, then the problem sort, should sort itself out. And I would expect that longer term we see sort of a reversion to, to margins that reflect the competitive position of the companies that we hold. But in the near term, it has definitely been a challenge to navigate. That's really interesting. I mean, I think from my perspective, private equity provides such an interesting lens as to, you know, a forward looking perspective of what we might see in the public markets. Certainly something that I'm certainly focusing on is, you know, if we are in this softening or potentially recessionary environment, what will happen to earnings and what will happen to margins and and therefore you know, just pricing we can expect in the market. So, no, really interesting insights there and um, really appreciate your time today, Rune. And also wanted to thank our listeners for joining us and taking 10.